Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest is a disruptor of the virtual workspace. We're talking to him today because he is a seasoned entrepreneur. He loves scaling companies and the remote working. His recent business is an innovative virtual workspace for remote teams that fosters collaboration in real time and strengthens company culture in the digital economy. Coming to us live from Hong Kong, China, please welcome our disruptor, founder and CEO, at Remo, Ho Yin Chung. Thank you so much, KJ. I'm so happy to be on your podcast today. Yay. I'm happy too. So before we get into Remo, and is it Remo.co or is it Remo? Like what's what's the name of this company of yours? Remo. Remo. Okay, that's what I thought. So before we get into this whole thing about the virtual workspace, remote working, and almost like today the taboo word of company culture, tell the audience. What is your personal ingredient, your main ingredient for disruptive innovation? Let's say our main ingredient, it's actually one of our core values, which is humanity at the center is the core value. But what that kind of being expressed as is how do we rethink the way how people are engaging online and making it in the most human way possible? And so what I mean by that, so like I see that there's been like a, a continuum, right? Like we've got different evolution of communication. We start off with text, which was like AIM, ICQ, you know, we start off that and then we didn't have to do blogs and then it went into chats and then it went into video and then video calls. And we know at some point on the other side is VRAR, which is upcoming. And I think VRAR is inevitable, but I personally believe that there is a gap between where we currently are at right now and where VR AR will be mass adopted. And I believe there's this middle stage, which I'm calling it the immersive web. And what the immersive web is, is that when you think about like VR AR, right? Or VR particularly, like everyone is thinking of this like photorealistic matrix, like you're plugging yourself in and everything is super real. And I think that totally makes sense. But I believe that you don't need to have photorealism, like 100% perfection in order to be human, in order to have a human experience. I'll give you an example, like people play World of Warcraft, they play video games, they've never met each other, but they have amazing relationships within their clan groups. Like people get married, they have never have seen each other on video, but they work together as an amazing team to accomplish objectives. So World of Warcraft is nowhere near photorealism. It's cartoony. So I believe that 
there's a lot of things that we haven't optimized for that. And I think, you know, human beings are not as superficial as we think. Like they care about the contact, you know, what the emotion, the psychology, like all that stuff. I think there's still a lot of room to improve in order to make communication as human as possible. I completely agree with you. And those are great examples. I find that the more I talk to disruptors and you're the first person that's said humanity as one of the core (laughs) ingredients, there is a prevailing bent or penchant towards humanity today with all of this high tech. And I think that really begs to be talked about. So let's go more into this status quo of this, well, the web now, technology now, this middle gap of the immersive web, the lack of humanity. But again, you just gave us great examples of humanity going through very cartoonish technology, not even realism, but real life events, connections through that. When you look at the status quo that you wanted to disrupt, what did you look at? So I looked at a few things. So my previous startup was in social media, specifically in Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And back, you know, probably about 10 years ago, like I already saw the huge dichotomy, the huge polarization that, you know, social media has been causing to really impact our discourse and our perspectives today. You know, it's become, we're much more divided than ever. And I feel that that was the first backdrop. Like, is this really human? Is it really human for us to stay in our own bubbles and treat each other in such a poor manner and troll each other? Like, why, why does it pull the worst in us? You know, why does it not pull more of the best? And, and I think that was one piece of that I really didn't like about. And I wanted to create something that we could authentically have authentic conversations that build meaningful relationships. Like that was one, that was like one part. And then the second part is when you think about the pandemic and how we're now normalized, everyone now still uses Zoom and Microsoft Teams and they're great tools and we've been able to adopt them. But I do feel and I do see and all of our customers tell us that they are tools of convenience. Like it was there. It was convenient there. We adopted it. Now that we've finished adopting them, I mean, we now see that remote work is very difficult to create culture, very difficult to maintain relationships. If you've worked with colleagues before in an office, yeah, sure. It's a lot easier to work remotely. Like there's a lot of successful cases like that. But if you're now trying to build a business, bring in new employees under a remote umbrella, that is something that no one has ever, at least I've done it. My, my team is fully remote. Other teams that have been doing this for years, but enterprises and large companies, have they been doing this? No. Like I, that's the scale and the level that I think we may not be as well prepared for. And so when I think about Zoom and Teams, it's kind of like saying, hey, I want to do a sales kickoff at like super glitzy, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of right. like, there's, there's entertainment, there's a lot of, you know, everything. Imagine you host a sales kickoff in a really stuffy boardroom. Would you do that? Would you spend money on that? And the answer obviously is no, you would not do that. And no, they would never do that. You would never host something, get a nice hotel, you would get entertainment, you would do all the things to make it a great experience. And so to me, that's Teams and Zoom. It's great. I mean, board meetings are perfect. Like boardrooms are great when you want to sit down and have a serious conversation. It's one to many. But when you have more complex events like training, workshops, networking, 
meet and greets oriented like onboarding where you're trying to onboard your new cohort and you're trying to inspire them. You know, you don't do that in a stuffy boardroom. You do that in a hotel, hotel lobby. Like we spend so much time and effort trying to figure out what venue to do it, but we don't think about from a virtual venue. We don't think about that when it comes to the experience. And to me, that's the status quo that I feel like that is starting to change. It's starting to change where we're moving away from, okay, this is it's a sales kickoff. It's not a virtual meeting. It's actually a virtual experience. We're slowly moving towards that direction, but I believe that, this, that I'm fighting against that status quo. You're fighting against the status quo of the virtual experience or just the virtual static meetings? It's static meeting, like Got hosting it. a meeting in Zoom. Got yeah. it. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, you said a couple of things. The very first pillar of what you said, you talked about social media. Why does it bring out the worst in us? Is this really real? It is highlighting the differences in humanity, which makes it non-human. I mean, we all know throughout history that when you highlight the differences of different cultures, it makes it okay to attack others. It makes it okay to commit war on other cultures. My first question to you is, why do you think it pulls out the worst? Well, I think there's several reasons. One is that social media is a marketing tool. You use it to market something. You're, You're using it for a goal. If you're an influencer, you want more followers, you want more exposure. If you're a business, you want more revenue. If you're, it used to be like, I would have a, somebody would have a Twitter account. I just want to talk about myself and, you know, just comment and blah, blah, blah. It was very, you know, it was very innocent, like, <laughs> like a newborn, like a new, like a child. A little and naive, then, but yes. Exactly. And then as technology progresses, marketers will slowly try to maximize their goal. Like they want to achieve a goal. They want more of something. And then you throw in political forces, then you get a lot of even more manipulation. Like then you get fake news, fake profiles, fake followers, all all this other stuff. And then the whole concept of what originally becomes so corrupt. I I don't want to use the word corrupted, but it just becomes more muddy and complicated. I think the initial purpose is perverted. And look, political, it's still a marketing game for them. Black hat marketing. I mean, the tool is to get people on your side or against the other side. I think it's a really good point. So you're saying it's been changed to just a marketing platform, period. Yeah. I mean, people are trying to use it to get the most clicks, you know, to get them like media companies are driven by social media and this high, you know, high volume consumption to spread lies. There's a quote that I just read somewhere. Lies spread faster than the truth. They do. They do. I mean, I think that there's other statistics about, you know, how many times faster people will push and disseminate lies than they will the truth. It's a sad thing. And not only that, it makes more money. Yes. So you put all those stuff together, then, you know, really social media is very different from what it was originally. And I didn't, I was working in social media and I just didn't like that. Like, I just did not feel, it didn't feel great. It didn't feel great seeing this and working in an industry that was like that. And so therefore I left it, did not continue my business there. And I started something else. And then that's when I started Remo. So it was almost like a reaction to that. Yeah. I started Remo as well. Well, like it aligns with your core ingredient of humanity. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yes. And then you mentioned this second pillar that since we've become, I guess, normalized, it's different to create culture. 
You also said some companies like yourself and others have been able to do that in a remote environment. I mean, we've been remote since 2015. There's definitely a culture that occurs with remote companies, but mm-hmm. enterprise and other companies are really having a hard time taking that material, physical universe culture and how do they translate it over into the culture today? What do you find is happening with collaboration and the breakdown of company culture and these static meetings? How is that affecting companies, their bottom line, their productivity? Things like that. I mean, I think it's a mixed bag. Like, there's this epic debate that's going on right now, which is like remote hybrid or in person. This debate is still going on. People are on both sides. Like, and I think the leaders, you know, I'm a manager, I'm a founder. I understand why, how they feel because, you know, you want to see your people in the office. Like, you want to see them working. And that's, there's some trust, physical element to that. I think leadership wants that but you know obviously employees don't because they want the flexibility right and so there's a perception of lower productivity there's a lot of perception i mean we've been changing if you think about like there's just too much change change is too fast and the funny thing about being working technology is that a lot of times the thing that limits growth is humans like humans to adopt not really the technology like how do you change people quickly and now it goes to the top of management how do you get management to change their, to change that. And so I think, I think that's one. And number two is like from a collaboration impact, the best analogy I like to use is if you got a professional NBA team to then go play professional soccer, how do you think that's going to work? (laughs) Yeah, it would totally suck. Professional NBA team is like in-person working. I can shout at you the the coach can shout at you. Like everyone's like, hey, okay, I'll pass it. Hey, cover me. Like it's like collaboration super close. Soccer is like, the coach is like sitting there and just crossing his hand and, you know, like <laughs> people are just walking around. They're nobody shouting at each other. Like they got to like know what they're doing. Like you have to kind of know what you're doing and feel the flow of the game and, you know, so, so to me, so the that's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's different rules. The game is different. That's what I see the problem with enterprise right now is people still are trying to figure out the rules and it's not from an individual contributor perspective, they're trying to learn the rules. And from a leadership perspective, like managers, they're trying to learn this will take time. Like, and so therefore, you know, productivity, you know, equity between people who are in office and not office, like all these things become super problematic. And I think for a lot of companies, it will take a considerable amount of time in order to get it right. So you're basically asking them to retrain their staff on how to lead your managers, how to lead to a certain extent. And all those like, you know, man, I'm not saying every single manager is lazy, but you know, to be, you have to be a really good manager to work in a remote team. You really have to be really on top of like having one-on-ones, giving good feedback, making sure you're really communicative. Not all managers are out at that level. Right. Not all managers are trained up at that level. A lot of them are maybe lazy or they don't do it that way. They don't follow best practices. Now they're forced to do that. And of course, I would, I would definitely imagine that you're going to get a lot of challenge of, of like unwilling to do that. And so I would say that that's definitely like the problems, the impact. I agree. And, you know, that was a mic drop statement when you said the game has changed. Because it truly is a game. It does have freedoms, barriers, purposes. It does have 
challenges, oppositions, you got to win it, but the game has changed. And I know there's this epic debate. I know a lot of remote workers now don't want to go back to the office. And I understand that particular point of view, you know, the quality of life, the commute, the this, the that. But also there is a factor on leadership and management. You know, people are at home working. There is this infiltration, I will call it, of personal lives that insidiously filter into the workaday world now. Stresses at home, kids at home, like factors that were never there before that could be compartmented off when you went into work. And so I guess my whole statement here is this will take time because there are so many more factors that are entered into the company culture that are hidden that we're not you even know, I, So what I would say is that the exposure is probably more like, you know, your child's wandering around in the background and maybe you don't, you don't, you don't have a good way to segregate both of those things. And you're, you maybe you're some family members like shouting in the background when you, you know, so I think that's like one thing, but what I would argue is that, well, all those things were there in the background anyways. It's just that we just hit it better in the work office. But when you're in the work office and you suddenly see someone blow up or just snap or not doing their work well or whatever, what's the ma- a good manager should be like, hey, how's everything going? Right. And, and I think most, I would hope, I think most managers do that. Like they say, hey, what's going on? Like, how's, it, how's it, everything going? Is everything going fine at home? Like, I feel like those conversations are kind of the same. We just hit it a little bit better, but it's still kind of there. The bad managers don't. The bad managers just say, hey, you know, why are you not doing this? Do your job and blah, 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 and ignore. And I think those things are kind of similar, but I do agree that at home, it's definitely a much more stronger influence. Like I think it has a much more higher chance of penetrating into your work and potentially distracting you. But, you know, that to me is another rule again that has changed. Like you need to figure out how do you segregate yourself from home when you're working. Either you work at home, or if it doesn't work, then you find somewhere else, like a corrugating space or somewhere else near your house to kind of to work. You just got to figure it out. You have to figure out what what makes it work for you. All good points. So it's a multifaceted problem. It is complex. It will take time. What's the disruptive solution that's going to help that? Let's get into remote. Yeah. So I think the way how I, I like to analogize it is like some companies will spend will spend a lot of money. Well, they'll spend some money on interior de- interior decoration of your office. Or they'll buy a really nice logo, or they'll buy an extra nice reception desk, but the inside is like you know the chairs or whatever. Like like people will spend money on that. And why why do you spend money on that? It's because you like your employees, you want your employees to have a good experience. You want them to sit on good chairs. You want them to, you know, um, have a great experience, great workplace experience. Like it's all of those. Probably some of those are all of those combined. So, how do you think about that when people are working from home or working in a virtual way? How can you make the virtual experience much more better? And to me, the differentiator in terms of how we really think about that is creating an environment that it can never be exactly in person. You can never do that. But what you can do is you can create the the human dynamics, how people work together and interact and make that as similar as possible. And so a lot of companies are like, oh, we'll just use Slack, we'll just use Microsoft Teams. That's great. If I'm working next to you, I can can easily come and meet you like in in the meeting room because we can make up for that 
for the lack of resolution or quality of, of image, you know, quality of experience by going there physically. But when you're working remotely, you don't get that option. There is no other option. And so how do you make that experience much better? And for, for video calls, that's where it all begins and that's where it all ends. And so how do you create a much more better culture by creating connectivity? And so we create this virtual workspace that allows people to come together and connect. And we do a lot of things that make it seem very easy to network and meaningfully connect with someone. And that is basically what our, what we are very, very well known for is the networking aspect. When I go and meet someone at network is exactly like it is in person. And we've been able to take those elements that aren't necessarily like photorealistic. I mean, it is a video call, but the dynamic we've been able to replicate. And that's what I mean by, Hey, we can take current technology to make it feel human without making it a hundred percent perfect look like you're like right in front of me. And that's, and that's what Remo does. Got it. So now I understand Remo. <laughs> now I understand the name. <laughs> that's good. How do you make it more realistic? Because you're talking about this interim between the video kind of two-dimensional calls and VR, 3D, but we're in this web immersive space. If you had to explain it to the audience, a couple of like key points that they would really understand, how did you do that? So at Remo, we have this like top-down 2D maps. Imagine you're looking at Google Maps and you zoom in, you found your office and you zoom in. You keep zooming in, zooming in, zooming in into the office and suddenly you see the chairs, you see the desks, you see all that. You keep zooming in and you'll see the individual people and they're represented as circles with their photo uh, photo on it. And then you see people kind of like sitting at their desks. And so we've, we've created like a digital twin of your office or of some imaginary place. Some people choose, you know, this uh, really beautiful like villa in Hawaii, like right by the beach or something. There's like a bunch of tables and people are sitting on those tables and you double click to go to a table that you want to talk to someone. And once you enter that table, the videos of the people around that table will then just show up. And when you leave that table and go somewhere else, then in that new table, there's a new set of people. You'll see a new set of faces. And so what, what we've done is that in order for you to be not a passive person, which are a lot of times when you're in a meeting, you are kind of like a game, right? When you're an active participant and you choose where you want to go, you're automatically engaged. It's like you're the driver of the car versus the passenger of the car. You know, sometimes in the past, like I would regard myself as I like pretty, I know where everything is, but if I'm a passenger in the car, I'm like, sometimes I'm locked. I'm like, I have no idea where this person's driving, you know, sometimes because you're just the passenger. You're not actively, you know, I'm paying uh, attention. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be paying attention. Exactly. And so, and so I would say it like that. And so we have successfully been able to make that feeling that you can go where you want to go, meet the people you want to meet. And once you go and meet those people, that's like, you can see them and interact with them. And within that space, you can not only interact with people that are online, like working from home, we can also interact with people who are working in the office, like in person. And to me, that's the key. The key is how do you solve hybrid? Because fully remote is pretty easy. Fully in-person actually is pretty easy, to be honest. Because everyone's on the same playing field. Everyone is just doing the exact same thing. And it makes, you know, it's very equitable. The problem is hybrid. How do you make these two groups interact with each other? And right now, all we're using is Zoom and Teams. And what we're saying is that we need a unique space 
that it can bridge that gap so that people can then see each other where they are on the map and also you have the ability to interact. That's very cool. What are some of the success stories or, or things that are happening with this hybrid sort of virtual workspace? We have some really large tech companies that use us, some of the biggest, and they use us for new hire onboarding, new hire cohort onboarding. So when it's new hire onboarding, you need to inspire and really infuse the culture into your new employees. And so how they use us is they totally deck out the entire space. It looks like their actual office. And that creates this sort of starstruck effect when they actually visit the office. You know, have you, I don't know if you've ever, like you watch somebody on, on film or whatever, we actually meet them in person. You're like, oh my gosh. So you can, you can recreate that successfully. And they also use us to have small pods where people always are interacting with each other in these small pods throughout the entire onboarding. So they might come together through three, four to six people might be assigned to a really small group. It's called the Avengers, for example. And then they go through the entire onboarding like that. Now, now, why is that important? Well, it's important because it's, it sounds like, well, duh, like it sounds really simple and easy. You see, it's very easy to make small groups and your, your inner circle very easily in person. I mean, it, it's human. It's natural. Now, the problem is, is that when you're in a virtual space, it's not that easy. It's very difficult. In fact, it's very difficult to build meaningful relationships because all you have is video. And so we need to kind of nudge people into the right places, give them the right context, give them the right talking points so that that, and also give them the right objectives and goals they work together, just like in a video game. That leads to authentic conversation and meaningful relationships. It can be done. It's just, it needs to be, we have a little bit more thought around it. It's just, it's, it is the trade-off for not being able to do it in person, but you need to put the right environment around them so that they can then create those relationships. And that's what we do. And we've been very successful in creating many relationships with new hires that has increased their retention because a lot of new hires, when they come and they're coming in as a remote employee, they don't feel the culture. They don't, they don't have close friends. They're just just by themselves working in their home. Attrition is very high. But we've been able to resolve that by making them feel like, hey, this is I actually am part of a team. I actually have my own clique, my own inner circle. That's awesome. Do you have a room for like the virtual water cooler? <laughs> so people can go and yeah. just chat, walk down the hallway. I mean, I remember the day in corporate America, you walk down the hallway, you see someone, you go to the water cooler, you go to the kitchen. You can discuss things with people. I mean, people create these amazing designs. So one cool thing about Remo is that you can customize your floor plan to whatever your heart's desire. Some people have created like humongous like waterfalls, like the one from the first Jurassic Park. Some people have wanted like a beach house. Some people have wanted like a like a the cliff that oversees the Golden Gate Bridge, and like they have their office like right there. Like it's just whatever to your heart's desire. And that's what makes it unique. Like it makes the experience really unique, even though it's, you know, it's kind of a gimmick, but sometimes you need those things in a virtual environment. It needs to be more exaggerated in order for you to make up for the lack of in-person that you need. You need to exaggerate some elements of that. That's a really good point. 
So we're in this change. This change is going to take a while. This immersive web, as you call it, I love that name. Where do you see this virtual technology going? Where do you see it really being brought into corporate America? How long is it going to take? How is this going to help us bridge over to VR much better? What are your projections? Well, I think people need more immersive web type style communication like right now because hybrid is is chugging along. Like People are still trying to figure out hybrid. But I think as time goes on, people realize that hybrid is not going to cut it. Like, And then people are going to say, all right, well, I'm going to either go fully fully remote or I'm going to go fully in person. And so, so there's going to be like, like people are kind of like in drift either way. And some companies who are really good at organizing themselves might stay hybrid. So my projection is that from, from that perspective, there's going to be a real need for something to kind of make up for that. And people are going to struggle. The thing with, you know, for VR and AR, I think I, I don't know when VR and AR will be truly adopted, but I know it will take some time for it to get down to a consumer level. Like yeah. productivity is pretty consumer. Like it's consumer as in like it needs to be quite mass adopted before it gets all the way down to that. So I still think that will take some time. In terms of like the problems that we're solving, like we're just solving problems of how humans connect online. And to be honest, VR has to solve those problems too. I mean, if I, it, you still have to figure out how do you get people to really, you know, connect, truly connect, because you can't use realism. Because if you are photorealistic and it's 99% real, humans won't accept it. Humans are really good at figuring out, are you really human or you're not? Like, we're just naturally wired to pattern match and spot those types of things because we're social animals. So you got to be really, really good at that. And so that's why I feel like trying to be perfect be- becomes a very, very difficult endeavor. And it'll take, take some time. That's why I said, like, you don't need to be 100% perfect or photorealistic. You can do so many things already. Like, there's, there's, it's, it's, there's a clear example and track record of being able to do that. And so immersive web will have to solve all these social, psychological, human ways. I'll give you one good example. 65% of human communication is nonverbal. Hmm. Only 8 to 10% is what I say. That's it. So how do humans communicate? Apparently, words don't necessarily count for that much. They, they do, of course, it's important, but it's not the whole thing. So what is what are we missing? What is the nonverbal that we're missing? And I think that element is really where Immersive Web is focusing on. That's very interesting. So what are your biggest challenges right now with Remo? So I think right now it's the uncertainty. You know, people are still trying to figure out like all of the trends that would have normally happened would have taken years. Like things are changing, whatever. All the trends that are happening now are happening within like two years or like six, seven, eight months. Like things are changing so fast. I think the challenge is that people are still trying to figure out what they want. And so, or what they want to do, whether it's hybrid or remote, hybrid remote in terms of their work style or the way how they want to um, organize events. Do they want to do a in-person event or you know physical event? I think all of that is uncertain and that is challenging because you're trying to navigate as people are trying to acclimate. We have to constantly pay attention and understand where people's journeys are at. Yeah, you're right. We do have to really stay in the present, don't we? All this change yeah. can really knock you out. I mean, just knock you out of the present. or Yeah. So that's a challenge. That's very real. 
What are the plans for Remo? Where are you taking it? Several areas. One is like, how do we make our interaction and our our product even more human? I think that's always been our long-term vision. So we're creating a lot more innovation and research around that, around like human human psychology and all that kind of stuff. I can't really share anything too specific, but there's definitely a lot of features around that in terms of visual, in terms of video and all that kind of stuff. And the second is more of, we have found several industries that actually really work for us, several use cases that work for us. And I think it's just continuing to find more use cases and more and more industries that really understand Remo and fit it have a good fit from a product market fit standpoint. And from that perspective, it's a lot about like trying to go to market, figuring out what features we need to fit and solve their problems. And so, and, and so we're solving experiential problem, obviously, but we are also need to solve business problems too. And when you combine those two things together, then you have really good product market fit. Yeah, makes total sense. What industries are you serving today really well? So right now we serve enterprise really well. We serve higher education well. We also serve, like, from an industry standpoint, like, you know, chemical industry. We also serve some professional associations as well. That's still a decent size segment. Okay, great. So, ending thought on Remo, what's the one thing you want the audience to know, to really think about and challenge themselves to look at something differently? I think if, if people are working hybrid and they're working remote and they're trying to figure that out and try to figure out how to be more inclusive, how do you make your how do you make better culture? I think the first thing you have to start thinking about is what is that online virtual experience look like? And I can say that flat out that just relying on Teams, Zoom, and Slack is not something that is, in my opinion, sustainable in creating a great culture, at least in the short term. Like, There's a lot of remote companies that do use that, but they've been trained for years to be able to work in that kind of environment. But when you have a lot of other people who need to have more physical, like they're used to physical contact, you know, you need a, a solution that's kind of in between that, not something that's fully text, not, but something that's also more immersive so that you can help build these relationships stronger. The other thing is that if you're thinking about hybrid, you need to think about new employees way more because they are the first ones that are going to be not willing to, or not able to really like absorb the culture as well. And so what is your onboarding look like and what is your ongoing virtual experience look like and how do you make that as human as possible with the help of any kind of virtual workspace tool as Remo, but what are the actual policies in place to make it as human as possible? I love it. It's a really good challenge. Hoian, like tell us a little bit about you personally. When did you have this epiphany or this moment like that's it? I'm doing something about this. Was this an evolution for years? Have you always looked at things differently ever since, you know, little Ho Yen? Or was it this (laughs) pivotal moment where you're like, F this, I'm doing something? I think like, it it definitely wasn't something that was immediate. I think it was definitely a gradual movement to this. I think to start off where like, I was in social media, didn't like what I was doing. I actually became, at the end of that previous startup, I became very depressed because I wasn't able to grow the business much further. I didn't like what was starting to happen, like this polarization and trolling, all this stuff was happening. I just didn't really like it. And so I went through some serious reflection. I had a, you know, I spoke to a lot of people. I even like worked with like a business coach and really trying to figure out what was it I wanted to do. And what I really, when I started off my company, 
I started off my company as a remote work company, like fully distributed way before 2020. And when I first started that, I did it because I wanted to basically find the best team and, you know, put it together. Over time, I realized that remote working, you know, there's this huge group of people that like, they were really passionate about remote working, you know, and this is before 2020. And I started to learn a lot from them and went to some physical events with them. Like these, there's called running remote, which is like this conference for remote work and stuff like that. And this was like way before remote work was even a thing. And I learned all about these strategies and these best practices about how to lead a remote team. And what I realized about remote work was that it, it allowed people from all different type places in the world to get jobs and to take care of them, to live the life they want to live. Yeah. You know, I have, I have teammates that their parents are unable to take care of themselves and they have to stay at home and do that. There's single moms that have to take care of their shit, that their kids. Like those are the stories that I hear a lot about and why in the early days remote work was serving them well. Now it's, of course, it's everyone, but that's where it kind of started. And to me, it's like, you want to live the life that you, that you want to live. And so that's where I finally decided that I want to focus on something that is related to remote work because remote work is liberating. It's liberating for people. And so that's when I started on that. And then when I realized that remote work is very difficult to connect people, like it's difficult for me to connect with my teammates. I also found that out. And I was like, oh, wow, it's really hard to lead a team. I had one team member actually left. And then when I asked him, why did you, why do you want to leave? And he said, well, I actually wanted to work on this, actually. And I was like, oh, I wish I knew about that. Because then I would have thought things around. And I realized that I didn't know that person. Like I worked with them, but I didn't know that person. It was, it was so transactional, our relationship. And that's when I realized like, the way how we work, remote work is so great, liberating, but it, there's, no there's no human connection. And so all of that combined made me slowly realize that I want to do something with remote work and try to help make that more authentic, that communication more authentic, that is not social media. And maybe that can help connect people together from different places, um, different religion, different political perspectives. And I felt that you talking to someone else is allows people to understand each other more. And that conversation can be way more fruitful than just calling people names on comments on like a comment thread on like Facebook or something. You know, like I, I felt that was just so inhuman. Like you would never say that to someone's face. Like if, if each person recorded a video of themselves saying what they said, I bet you they wouldn't say that. Cause it's so mean. It's you would so never mean. do that. You ever, and, and also, the other thing is, you're accountable. On Facebook, Twitter, are you accountable? Are you accountable for what you say? Not really. Not, not really. I mean, you just say whatever you want, and you don't get backlash from it. And I mean, I mean, if you're just a commenter, obviously. So I, I just, that's, those are the things that are running through my mind. And I was like, okay, you know, I really want to change that. How do we make something that can avoid that and make, go back to basics, go back to basics of like cavemen of, you know, how did people communicate back in the day? How do we how do we talk to each other and socialize with each other back in the day? And that's kind of how I look. I look back a lot more than I look forward. I look back at what we did before as a template. <laughs> Can you believe that? As a template of how we should be doing things moving <laughs> forward. Isn't that ridiculous? I, I say a, it, it's like sounds ridiculous. It's amazing, Ho Yen. You know what? It's a really good perspective of your main ingredient 
of humanity, but also at the ability to introspect and look at things, not from an introversion point of view, but like, how can we make this better? Yeah. It's an awesome story. Thank you. Okay, Hoyan, what do you do outside of Remo? Do you have any like crazy passions, like hobbies? I love board games. What's your favorite board game? So right now I'm starting to play one that's called Wingspan. I mean, they're they're kind of it's like pretty deep. A better one would be like more probably more people know would be like Ticket to Ride or um, Settlers of Pentagon. Like those types of like they're like these you know Renaissance of board games that have been happening recently. And I like playing those things because I get to interact with people, number one. But, you know, when you interact with most people and friends, like you're just talking to them, like you talk about the normal stuff. And, but when you play a board game, you like, you like see uh, sometimes a competitive side, a different side. How do you collaborate? Like it's a different way of seeing someone. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy seeing a different dimension of, of, of people when we're playing a board game. It just, you know, adds another level of getting to know a person. Rather than just, hey, let's sit around and have a beer, which is totally fine. Like, I love catching up, but what are some other great experiences can you have with each other? I think that's awesome. Even some craft breweries like capitalize on that board game phenomena. People go and they can play yeah. games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Beer and board games. That's a, yeah. good, that's a good mix. Beer and board games. You know, you could create something in Remo for your own virtual workspace and people could go yeah. play board games. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Hey, Hoyan, how do people get a hold of you? So my LinkedIn would be the best. I give you my LinkedIn and we'll have show that notes in too, so yeah. show notes. Hoyan Chunk, yes. LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of you? Yes, okay. LinkedIn's the best way. Awesome. And then Remo.co? Yeah, Remo.co, R-E-M-O dot C-O. Awesome. Hoyan, thank you so much. This has been a thank fun you. podcast. You, oh, good. Yeah, this has been great. I know our audience is going to love it. Thank you so much, KJ. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.